0: Community is a really big part of it. But then also um, for me, like I can't sleep at night if I'm not doing something creative or if I'm Mm. not getting it out of my system. For me, it's also like a way of healing.
1: Hi, I'm Zoltan Fetcho, producer of the Cleopatra's Bling podcast. Our guest today is writer, actor and musician, Chanel Risk.
0: Everybody loves storytelling and everybody has a story to tell. And don't feel like you don't have a story to tell because you do, you're human.
1: Shanelle is a proud Lebanese-Australian storyteller whose work reflects her journey as a young woman navigating race and culture in Australia. This interview was recorded on Wurundjeri and Gadigal land, and we pay our respects to all First Nations listeners. So can you tell us how you blend writing and storytelling with performance as your creative practice? So writing is always my starting point for
0: everything. I always just feel comfortable using my words, and I feel like by doing that, I can clearly explain what I'm thinking and feeling. So that goes for whether I'm writing, like, a story or a song or I'm trying to, like, think about, like, a play that we can do. I'm always just going to write everything out first. I always just love using my words. So, like, in acting, if there's a monologue that someone needs to perform, I want to do it. I just love using, like, the expression and, like, the tone of my voice to
1: portray a story. I'm in awe of people like that because I feel... Like I can speak in front of an audience and I can talk about whatever, but I, I would feel more embarrassed if it were like an acted monologue than if it were just me speaking about my experience, if that makes sense. Mm.
0: Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, but I think for myself is I feel more comfortable when I'm acting because I'm acting as someone else. Mm. It's not me.
1: Yeah, that's I'm so acting as a
0: character. Um that's how I feel it. So it's like a protective
1: shield of myself. because I would feel more vulnerable acting than I would just being Mm. myself, which is maybe strange to you, but it's interesting how we all have such a different experience around language and words. Yeah, it is. So the reason I actually found you was because of your recent piece that was submitted as part of your 2022 SBS Emerging Writers Competition. Um, and yeah. it expresses the idea that your family's yellow fiber house was your greatest teacher. Can you talk yeah. more about how growing up in that particular home influenced your perspective on the world?
0: Yeah. As I say in the story, it taught me a lot about just being flexible and adapting and kind of not worrying about the little things. And like, whilst I, like I'll physically like speak about like the foundation of the house and I don't know, like maybe there was like a switch you had to put on a certain way, but I was always kind of able to adapt to that. And for me, I just found when I entered the real world, like as I kind of got older, little things didn't bother me. I would just kind of get past them because it's not a big deal. So that's kind of one thing it taught me. And then more about the world, it taught me that some people can be very materialistic and I always kind of saw that um, growing up. If people kind of like saw the house I was living in or someone else was living in, they just kind of view you a certain way um, from the start. But that view and that perspective is not true. The reality behind that is those people are uncomfortable within themselves. Um, and so, it, it, yeah, it taught me to not take what other people say so seriously because they don't really know
1: me yeah that's great I mean it's so great that you could come out with that perspective at a young age as well because I think a lot of yeah, people would yeah. feel shame or you know like silly stuff when you're a child that makes you feel shame about your family and now you think about it you're like it's literally nothing but you know when you're yeah. when you're young it feels so much bigger
0: yeah and at the time like of course I felt shame like I felt everything Um, but that was because I was young. I was a child. Of course, I'm going to feel that. Um, But as you get older, you realize, oh, this was actually like a blessing. It was such a good lesson.
1: And also, I think you have more resilience when you've come from a background that taught you those lessons at a young age rather than a completely sheltered experience where I think going out into the world later in life is actually probably harder. (laughs) 100%
0: 100% yeah it's just kind of like character building <laughs> yeah. um, that's how I see it like it's made me who I am today part
1: of it yeah. So in your piece you also describe the role of storytelling in Arabic traditions which is obviously for those who are listening who you know speak Arabic or have learned Arabic or have experience in the Arab world it's such a big part of the Arabic language. I actually studied Arabic at Melbourne University but um, my teachers from He's Jordanian Palestinian, and he just always tells oh, me stories, and I love the way he yeah. tells. It's beautiful. It's it's always just so long winded, and it gets to right at the end. You're on the edge of your seat until you know you get to the crunch of the story, which I love. Um, and your father, you talk about your father's tongue speaking like Khalil Gibran. Yeah. So, how has this yeah. tradition influenced your own storytelling and creative work?
0: I think it, like, planted it in me. Like, I would have, for a while, and you might, like, still catch me saying this, I might say, like, I didn't really grow up around creatives. None of my family members, none of my friends, like, none of them are actors or singers or writers. Um, But when I think about it, like, I come from a family and a culture of poets. And, like, similar to your teacher, like, when I was growing up, my dad would always have, like just quotes that he would throw at me or um, little stories. And so would my grandfather as well and my grandma. Um, And they were just kind of like tales and poems. Um, But it would kind of like go all around the world and then like back to you and then it will explain like why Chanel is here today. Um, So, yeah, like just hearing my father's words um, as I was growing up, I kind of just thought, oh, that's just something my dad does. But as I get older, I realized, no, like he's telling a story. And this is similar to me when I'm typing on my laptop, writing a song or another story. Um, yeah. So I kind of made that connection and I was like, well, this is why I have this like innate feeling inside of me to tell stories and to use my words. Yeah. So that's how it's influenced me
1: great i think that like the the middle eastern and i mean i can speak for turkey as well as very folkloric how they recount stories and experiences you know sitting down for hours drinking in the case of turkey chai and then having stories told at you for so long i think it's like such a big part of the linguistic tradition of the region
0: yeah we do have a lot of um like well-known poets But also like you were explaining the drinking chai in Turkey and telling stories, I experienced that in January, so two months ago, um, when I was in Lebanon with my family and we would sit around drinking um, like black coffee. My mum, my dad, my grandma, aunties and uncles, like just telling stories about our family and where we come from. Yeah, so it's such a wonderful experience.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. How have your experiences of home and family influenced your sense of identity and do you like to explore these themes in your work?
0: I do. I think that's the main thing that got me into wanting to be creative because when I was younger I was always searching like in music or television or film or writing. I was searching for something that was relatable for someone that looked like me or had a similar background to me. And I was always searching for it. And sometimes I would find things that I could relate to and I loved it. Like I became obsessed with it. I love the relatable feeling. So that's why this is why I do my creative practice, because I want my themes of home and family life to be relatable to others who are like me, who might be consuming my
1: art. Mm, to give people a sense of, um, community, would you say that that would be your main driving force?
0: I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that's what a lot of my mentors have always told me as well. Um, Chanel, it's like community is your thing. Um, and I say, yeah, community is a really big part of it. But then also, um, for me, like I can't sleep at night if I'm not doing something creative or if I'm Mm. not getting it out of my system. Yeah. For me, it's also like a way of healing.
1: Yeah. Can you discuss also your creative process when writing about personal and family experiences and how you navigate the vulnerability of sharing these stories with the world, if it even is an issue for you or if it just comes naturally?
0: It's interesting because I think if you know me like in person, um, I'm quite reserved. Some might call me a bit shy. I've always kind of been like that. But... um, my creative process is just like me sitting in my bed on my laptop and I might have this like verse in my mind for like a good month. It might come to me when I'm driving or in the shower, even just words or like a few sentences and it stays with me and I repeat it and then one night when I have the energy, I'll open my laptop and I'll just start typing it down. And a lot of my writing is kind of like devised. It's writing from this month and this month and I kind of just put it together um and that's how I wrote the article the article at, at first was
1: like three different pieces of writing and then I kind of just combined it okay so it wasn't you didn't have a premeditated sort of objective with that piece and then sat down and wrote it it was more the culmination of a couple of different pieces
0: yeah, it was a combination of multiple pieces. I actually, um, and I, I wrote that article I think two years ago, and I submitted it to two other um, competitions, but it, it was never really successful or or anything. Um, so it stayed on my laptop, but I just felt like there was something behind it. Like I think, like if it reached the right audience, I think people would enjoy it. So then, um, SBS yeah opened their submissions, and um, but it seemed to fit my story. So I was like, "All right." I read over it quickly, made some ed- edits, and then I just submitted it. That's great. Yeah.
1: Obviously, you're a young writer yourself, but what advice would you give other young writers who want to share their stories and experiences with others?
0: Just remember, you don't you don't have to tell everything. You know, you don't have to give every single detail of your life. Um, So be mindful of what you share, but also feel comfortable and be aware that there are people who will read your work and they will love it and they will relate to it and they will thank you for sharing your writing. Like if we think about it, I believe storytelling is just a part of human nature. It's a part of our culture. Everybody loves storytelling and everybody has a story to tell. And don't feel like you don't have a story to tell because you do, you're human.
1: Hmm. Do you have like a philosophy around creativity that sort of drives you, like your approach to it? Or for example, I always go back to the slightly cliche but I find helpful book, Big Magic. Mm -hmm. Basically the whole book is about approaching your own creativity and what I like about it is that she's kind of got a a non-precious approach to creativity, which is – kind of for me takes the pressure off what it means to be someone who likes to be creative on the daily, which is that you're all, Mm -hmm. everyone is creative, no idea is completely original and it's sort of like it's about catching the cloud of creativity as it goes over your head almost. Mm -hmm. You're going to have an idea one day and it may not be your most original idea but it's still an expression of creativity. Like I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to come up with this perfectly formed expression of something if whether it be jewelry in my case or writing in yours it can be quite pressurizing so i think it's it can, yeah. it's it's nice sometimes i remind myself of that if i'm sitting down to start a new collection like it doesn't really matter you know and if and some people are going to like it some people won't but mm. i try and approach it as though i'm just like making a meal for some friends or or something and yeah. and, and i think it can uh take the pressure off. I don't know if you have sort of a your own philosophy yeah. or if it's sort of still in development.
0: I think I kind of have like two philosophies. Um the first one is something that I've always kind of followed and for me when I'm being creative, I love to um like get in touch with the feelings within me and the memories I have. Um from whatever event that might be. But I really just like to reflect back on my life um, and my experiences, and I really love to use the feelings I get from that and let that out in a creative form. Um, So most, like, all of my work up until now is based on my life experience. That's one philosophy that I've always followed through with, but one that I'm also trying to, like, get more into is we have to remember to just be human and to just experience life. Um, and I learned this I learned this from one of my acting teachers. Um, but to be creative, you need to experience life. You can't just be like stuck in your room on your laptop trying to write something all day. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, nothing's like, it's not going to be relatable. How are you going to relate to human experience? So I really just tried to see like new experiences and just this sounds so cliche but just try my best to enjoy life because by doing that I'm inspired by so much around me
1: I mean it might sound cliche but I think it's the hardest thing to do just yeah, enjoy it life like I think that's the main thing that people yeah. struggle with <laughs> Yeah, know, yeah it is. The... It is.
0: especially especially creatives because we never clock off like yeah like you could be anywhere and like oh that that's something I should take and do something with it. Like I can use this for my next project. Um, but you, you like you just need to enjoy life, and not be so hard on yourself. And like I used to have like a list on my wall of to do, like things I need to do and submit. But now it's just like I take it as I come. And mm-hmm. I did that in the last year, 2022. I, I just took everything as it came. I didn't, you know, write down I'm going to do this and this because – that is just so much pressure.
1: Yeah, it's hard, especially like in my case when you're living from, your, when you've actually got a you know a business model that.
0: Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. sometimes it's yeah. easy
1: to forget that at the source, what you're doing is should be joyful. It's it's interesting when you start to monetize the the process. I think yeah. as long as you have an, a healthy yep. approach to it, it's completely feasible, and so many people have done it for millennia. But it's just an interesting, yeah. like it's not just like my hobby, you know? Like it's my hobby and my yeah, livelihood. Exactly. So it's it's and the livelihood of many other people. So it's just an interesting like dichotomy almost to approach yeah. your creativity and be like playful and loving about it. And then at the same time be like, I have a lot of bills to pay. So yeah. <laughs> but it's I think it's 100%. great because it keeps you grounded as well in it because I can't be precious about my process.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if you think about it, like maybe taking that step back and not putting that pressure on it, your creativity might grow, and it might actually benefit Mm. you more. Um, But again, it's it's different for everyone, and we do have to be realistic. I always tell my creative friends this: like, we can't just expect to blow up after one thing. Like, I, I had to learn that the hard way. But we do have to be realistic as well, and like as humans, we all do have to survive as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, that's one thing she says in this in that book, Big Magic. She says if you're starting out and you've got this project or this dream, don't actually quit your day job because the pressure of doing that stunts your creativity. Not that I followed that mm-hmm. advice. I read the book after I started the, the business. <laughs> I quit everything and put yeah. everything into the business. How long have you had the business? Still? 11 years. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, but you know, it, it all worked out the way it was meant to, and I don't regret a thing. But it was, it's just interesting reading that it in is, hindsight. Yeah. I was like, yeah, obviously, like, you know, having an alternative funds and sources of income when you're starting a business is very, it's favorable. But at the same time, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's no formula, is what I try and tell people if there people ask me yeah. to give them advice. Yeah. Because maybe I could do what I did 11 years ago now and it wouldn't be the same. So it's just, Exactly. It's a bit of yeah. a time and place. Yeah. Also, I obviously because I make jewellery, you've mentioned how yeah. wearing gold jewellery is part of your ethnic identity in your written piece. Yeah. So I'd love to yeah, talk yeah. about that more and your experience of wearing gold jewellery. I can see you're wearing jewellery now. It's the first thing my eyes went to. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about what it's been <laughs> growing up as yeah. a, young, a young woman in Australia to embrace your heritage through your aesthetic as well
0: yeah I guess like to begin with I think it might be obvious but as part of Middle Eastern culture um gold is really big gold is like currency (laughs) there um but gold yeah (laughs) but gold is just also like something beautiful that most people try and like obtain um and with my family I think like from the minute I was born um like gold was bought for me to wear and I was like dressed in gold and then when I turned like turned around eight I realized none of my friends are wearing these like chains and bracelets like I just want to wear like a pink pink Justin Bieber necklace (laughs) and my parents are like why don't you wear this gold like it's gold it's real gold like this is the best thing you could wear but I was always kind of against it I would only like put on my gold for like Christmas masks and then I would take it off straight away But then as I became a teenager, um, I'd say around when I was 16, so that was 2016, I think, um, ethnic aesthetics kind of um, came in. And I don't know if this is going to make sense, but looking a certain way, like, became cool. It might have been that I went to an all-girls school um, and so I was kind of really, like, up with the trends. But I think as I became a teenager, I became more comfortable with the way I looked. Um, like even just with my brown hair and brown eyes and like I say that even though I'm quite like I'm told I'm fair for a Middle Eastern like when you compare me to others I guess that's true but still like as a child I I did not like the way I looked I didn't like what my parents dressed me in I didn't like my hair or my eyes and I think it's because I didn't see much of it on TV or in music and, like, knowing me as a child, I loved TV and music and anything creative. Um, so fast forward, when I became a teenager, I'm 16, everyone's wearing these big gold hoops. I'm like, well, sh- my mum has a box of them. I'm going to put them on. <laughs> um, and then I just really came to love it. And then I think I've been to Lebanon um when in 2019 and then I went in January this year and it's been really nice because I've gone as like a young adult and I've been able to swap the gold that my family got for me when I was young and swap it for something I think more mature and more to me now as an adult um, and I love it It's always been a part of my family. Whenever I'm in Lebanon, um, it's like a big day out. We go to the city and we're going gold shopping and everyone's following you and everyone's giving you like their best wishes and they're all trying to find like the best piece for you and, yeah, I love it now. I I only wear gold
1: now. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same. I mean, obviously in Turkey it's very similar with the, the gold shops and for, you know, children when they're born or when you're married, they pin um, gold coins to your wedding dress and all of that. So it's very much within the culture, which I've always found. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah. Back to your work. I mean, I'd love to talk about Middle Eastern jewellery all day, but I would like to know about how you see your work evolving and changing in future and if you have any projects that you're working on currently.
0: Yes, I am. Um, So last week I just um, finished – a theatre show that I was working on with my um, theatre company that was called Hair, and it had lots of cool, like, Middle Eastern themes mixed with like, witchy themes. So it was great. Um, It was a group of, like, Middle Eastern females working on it. Yeah. So that was a big project of mine, and it was really successful, so hopefully we can evolve that. But I think the next big thing is I'm releasing my first singles. yeah, like my first song on platforms. Amazing. So that's a really big thing for me because I've been yeah working towards that for a while, um, and I'm also filming a music video for that. So if you're listening, um, you can keep up to keep up with me on my Instagram.
1: Beautiful. And very, very last question: What are some of the things about being Lebanese Australian that you think few people out of outside of that community really know?
0: So much. <laughs> I think like we're obviously perceived in a very certain way and I say this because I see the way and I hear the way people will joke with me or like be surprised when I say no I'm not like that I don't do that mm-hmm. um but I think what they don't know is we are very hardworking. we come from a hardworking country very driven and very creative Lebanon is full of creative people in music, in fashion, in writing, um, even just like in design in so many ways. We're really creative-driven people. Um, We love to be open. We love opening our house to you, inviting you over, um, feeding you, making sure you're comfortable. We're very, like, humble in that way. Um, And I think that's something that I definitely am now as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Chanel. I'm sure we'll stay up to date with all of your creative endeavours. We'll post a link to your piece as well on our newsletter and stories once this episode comes out so that people can read your piece that helped me discover your work as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: This podcast was produced by Zoltan Fetcho and the Cleopatra's Bling team with original music by Cameron Alva. If you liked the show, share it with a friend and leave us a few stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're signed up to the newsletter on cleopatra'sbling.com to keep up with the newest updates on all things Cleopatra's Bling. Next time on the Cleopatra's Bling podcast.
0: TV, books, everything would come from either Palestinian, Syrian, Lebanese writers, as well as Egyptian. So today, if you watch any black
1: and white movie that's Arabic, it's most likely Egyptian. Until next time, stay curious.